back, if you would, this morning's message from what we preached on Thursday night. I know you wasn't all here Thursday night. Uh, a lot of you were, but not all of you. It was on worship. And so uh, we learned some things about worship out of John, the fourth chapter. And uh, we're going to pick up with that. So if you'll turn to John, the fourth chapter, as we look to the Lord in prayer, we'll get started into the message. Father, again, thank you for your wonderful, wonderful privilege of being in the house of God to worship you and praise you for how good a God you are. We ask, Lord, that you would just bless our gathering time and make it something that the Holy Spirit could speak through and at that time when we all could come together as your people and be what you want us to be. So bless our time together, our thoughts, and everything that goes forward, that you'll be glorified in it all, in Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to tell you this morning that this is going to pick up where we left off Thursday night, and uh, we were in John, the fourth chapter, so if you'll turn there, I'm going to start reading in verse number 27. It's kind of a lengthy reading, but it'll, you'll understand as we move forward into the message. Verse 27, talks. he's here at where he stopped on his way from Jerusalem to Galilee. He went to Jerusalem. What's he go to Jerusalem for? Feasts. Passover, right? And he lives in Galilee. That's where he was born and raised. So he went down there for the feast. All the Jews did. And then he was going back home. Halfway home, there's a town named Samaria. For the most part, the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't get along so well. The people in Galilee didn't get along with Samaria. The people in Jerusalem didn't get along with Samaria. It's just like uh, the Hazard, Kentucky, I guess. Uh, the Dukes of Hazard and uh, the Hatfields of McCoys, they just always seem to have something to fight about. So here we go. He's now traveling back home, and the Scripture says that he decided to go through Samaria this time. For the most part, the Jews would even go around Samaria just to avoid the conflict. But now he's at Jacob's well, the scripture tells us, and this woman comes to draw water, and they had a good conversation, if you would, and then uh, that's in the early part of the chapter, and then she, and he talks about worship in verse number 23 and 24 to her. She gets the idea, and the, you know, it's like the, dong, the light went off. He's the Messiah. He knows everything. He knows about me. He knows what's going on. He knows how to answer all my questions. This is the deal. He is the big deal we've been waiting for. So in verse 27, And upon this came the disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou to her? And the woman then left her water pot, and she went her way into the city and says unto the men, Come, see a man which told me all the things I had ever did, and not this is not this the Christ. Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed, prayed him, Master, eat. Remember, the disciples went to get something to eat. Now they've come back from McDonald's. They have a happy meal for him. All right? Master, eat, verse 32. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say ye not, there are four months 
Then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit into, unto eternal life, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth, another reapeth. I sent you to reap that where ye have not sowed. No labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I had ever done. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Of course, verse 43 says, After those two days he was there, he went on home to Galilee. That's where he was headed to start with. He didn't plan on a two-day stop in the middle of his journey, but that's where it took place. All right, this morning I want to talk to you about that result of that conversation with that lady at the well. It takes in more than just the water she went to get. Uh, there's a lot of things about this that really, if you knew the culture of what was taking place in the first century with this Samaritan woman, really doesn't line up with what tradition or what the culture of that society would take in. So just as Lee, uh, Jesus has just revealed to the woman that he's the Christ, the Messiah, and that every God-fearing person in the world knew he was coming for that, pur that purpose. Also, the disciples had let Jesus rest at the well while they went into town to get some supplies. All right? So now we got the backdrop of it. He, the scripture even says in verse 6 that he was tired when he got there. Huh, did you ever hear that Jesus was tired? We don't hear that very often, do we? Amen? So he was tired. He sat down and the disciples said, you know, let's just kick back and take it eat. We're going into town and get something to eat. We'll bring you back something. Amen? So verse 27, now the disciples have returned. They brought back lunch. Amen? Kind of, like, guess, like DoorDash. I don't know. They returned and surprised that Jesus was sitting there talking to this Samaritan woman. That is so not normal for that time. First of all, she's a woman. You just don't talk to strange women just because they're walking down the street. You know, especially a woman all by herself, and you're by yourself. There's no conversation that should happen in that type of a setting and not only the fact that she was a woman but Jesus had already exposed the fact she had five ex-husbands and she's living with a guy now that's not married to I just wonder hmm how was she dressed that would make the disciples already come to a conclusion of what type of woman this was sitting at the well, talking to Jesus. You ever think about it? 
Well, second of all, they knew she was a Samaritan from right off. Nobody introduced them. They knew she, who she was a woman, first of all. Then they knew that she was a Samaritan. How did they know that? Well, first of all, there probably wasn't anybody else in the wilderness or up at the well where Jesus was except locals. And if you're a local there, you was a Samaritan. And, of course, in those days and times, the Jews and the Samaritans, they were at odds at each other. They... And there's a whole history behind that that would take two months to teach all of that. Or you can read it in the Old Testament and understand why they didn't get along all that well. Then the Jews just, the scripture says, they just didn't have any dealings with the Samaritans. So here she was, all alone, at noon, at the water gate or at the well to get water. Usually, the women of the city, the tradition was, or the habit, or whatever you want to call it, all the women would get together. And they'd all meet like at city limits, I assume. They'd all take their buckets. They'd all go to the well together. They could all get caught up on the gossip that way. They could all be friendly and protect one another and go get water and bring it back. Now, what would water be needed for in a day? Wow, you could, <laughs> everything she does, it's going to need water. You know, just, that's just the way it is. But normally, the women would go get that water in, early in the morning because it's cooler. Water can get pretty heavy. Amen. They may be brought, you carry a five-gallon bucket of water very far, it gets heavy. That's just a small one. Maybe you carry two five-gallon buckets, and you know water weighs eight pounds a gallon. Did you know that? So mathematically, she's carrying 10 gallons, that's extra 80 pounds. She may not weigh 80 pounds herself. So here we are, we have those meet, this meeting going on, and everything about this meeting to the disciples walking up to Jesus and this woman just looks wrong. Everything about it is out of order. It's nothing that it should be, and yet the disciples really never came right out and questioned Jesus about it. They didn't see anything out of ordinary out of Jesus or out of the woman. It's just, it shouldn't be a man and a woman that a well, a, Jew, a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman. They just should not have got into that position together. Well, verse uh, number 28, the woman leaves. She goes back to town. Actually, it says she leaves her water pot. Now, what's a water pot worth? Hmm, that's probably one of the most valuable things she has. Because, like I say, you can't do anything in a daytime without water. So she goes back to the city without the water pot. Man, that sure does seem strange. Uh, did she forget what she went to the well for in the first place? To get water. And yet she goes back to town without the water pot. Huh. Then she left, when she left her water pot, that was the only thing she may have had that had any value to it to get what she needed to get done that day. When she went back to town without water, whatever she planned to do that day couldn't get done. She maybe had laundry to do. Can you do laundry without water? That's unless it's dry cleaning. I guess that's the only way you could do that. Or she may have had dishes to do. Or maybe she had a stew to make. Or cooking to do. 
some vegetables to boil. It takes water. Everything you think about takes water. Now, not only that, but maybe even to wash up herself or take a shower or whatever. Uh, uh, water is everything that you need to do when you have chores to do for a day. When she gets to town, she starts telling everybody she sees in town that she met a man at that well, and he was the Christ. You know how I know? He told me everything in my past. He told me everything that makes sense is what's going on, not only in Samaria, but Jerusalem and Galilee. He told me all that stuff. We got, he knows what's going on. She must have been very convincing to everybody in town because in verse 30, they, uh-oh, who's they? Yeah, there you go again. We got to figure out who they is. Well, in this case, we're kind of fortunate because it says, then they uh, went out of the city. So that would have been uh, the people of the city. Uh, they went out from the city. And uh, of course, that city would have been their safety net. They don't like to leave town very often, but they decided to go out and they came to Jesus at the well. Now, we see the crowd starting to gather at the well. Jesus, the disciples, and they from the city. How many is they? That's a bundle. Uh, who, oh, all right. Verse 31 to 34 then talks about what Jesus said when the crowd gathered. The disciples were there. The people of the city were there. Uh, he was starting to get the everything coming together around him. The disciples wanted to eat lunch. Uh, they brought back lunch for Jesus, but uh, the fact that Jesus wasn't interested in eating disturbed the disciples. And they even talked about it amongst themselves, although nobody really came out and said it to Jesus. He could hear the mumblings and the rumblings in the background about what what they, they were thinking. And the scripture says, uh, uh, Jesus told them, I have meat to eat, ye know not of. Now, he wasn't talking about a hamburger. He wasn't talking about bologna and cheese. He was talking about he had meat to eat that they didn't know. So the disciples, they thought he was talking about lunch. They started asking, well, I wonder who brought him something to eat. What did he have? Did that woman bring him something to eat? She shouldn't have done that. She's a Samaritan. We got all kinds of thoughts happening in the background. Of course, the scripture doesn't really get into that, but it does say that they wanted to know, did somebody feed him while we were gone? And then in verse 34, Jesus tells him what his meat is. Two things. Number one, his meat was to do the will of his father. And number two was to finish the work that God gave him to do. Those two things. When we do those two things, do God's will and finish the work that he asks us to do, great things will happen in our lives for us. God will bless us for that effort. Amen? I taught in the little class this morning about Jonah and the whale. Hey, Jonah learned his lesson and he learned to do it God's way because if you don't, you're going to spend some dark days in the belly of a fish. Now we get back here and in verse 35, 
Jesus seized the opportunity not only to teach his disciples a lesson on the will of God, but now the they are gathered to the classroom as well. So it's time to not only teach the disciples and they at the same time. Amen. And he says to them, don't say that it's in four months, it's harvest. Don't say that. Of course, that's the title of our message this morning. The harvest is ready. Amen. Don't say four months. Lift up your eyes. He says the fields are white to harvest now. Well, what did he mean by white to harvest? In this day and time. Now, where did he just come from? He just came from Jerusalem at the feast. That's in the spring. When do we plant our fields as a farmer, if you would? In the spring, for the most part. And when it's almost harvest, what happens to the grain? What happens to the color of the plants that you planted in the spring? They start changing color to let you know that it's almost time to harvest what's going on. And Jesus says, the fields are white under the harvest. Now, why he said white, I don't know. Uh, I could only speculate. But the lesson was, yes, right now it's springtime. And they're on their way home from Jerusalem to Galilee from a springtime festival, probably the Passover. Therefore, physically, he was right. Or they and the disciples were right. The harvest is four months out. But he said, no, no, no. The harvest is white right now. It's ready. It can't get any more ready than it is now. Physically, the harvest is four months away. Spiritually, they were in the midst of a great harvest at Jacob's well on the hillside outside the city of Samaria. Amen? Spiritually, in the will of God, today is a good day to do God's will. I say that to myself all the time. Today is a good time to do what God wants me to do. Now, on our way to church, every Sunday, we go, and I always point out two things to my wife. She'll verify this later, and you can all talk to her about it after church. There's a certain cornfield we go by. When we go by in May, I remark on how the guy prepared the ground and planted that corn. He got it in just in time to take advantage of the spring rains that God sent. Man, that corn came up in nothing flat. It wasn't long after that you could look right down the rows where the planter went and put the corn in the ground. That was really something else. Amen? Then we looked at it in June. Guess what? You not only can see the corn, but you can see the weeds. In June, he came in there with a big old sprayer. He ran over that whole field with a sprayer, killed the weeds. And I pointed it out. You're not going to have a good crop if it's full of weeds. Because the weeds will take the nourishment out of the ground the corn needs. I pointed it out in June. In July, there's a saying, Bonnie, what is it about corn in July? It's got to be knee-high by the 4th of July. Amen. We say that all the time. 
That's the way corn grows. All right, so here we are. August is past. What do we see in August? Oh, it shoots a tassel out the top. The ear starts to develop. In September, here we go. The, the lower leaves on the stalks are starting to turn brown and turn over. Even some of the ears will actually droop and turn upside down because they're going to dry out. Then in October, the combines are headed that way. Amen? Next thing you know, it's going to be harvested. Well, May, June, July, August, uh-huh. In four months, we may have a harvest. That's physically in a cornfield. Of course, the other thing we point out every, every uh, Sunday morning we go by, there's a fellow that's got a two-bottom John Deere plow in his front yard, and I tell my wife, I want to get one and put in my front yard too. How many of you would like to have a nice John Deere plow in your front yard to decorate your yard and let the weeds grow up through it? Wouldn't that be nice? I point it out every week to Bonnie, and she just looks at me and says, No, you can't put a plow in our front yard. Well, I, I tease her about it every week. So now we know about the harvest. Now we know about things that we need to do. So as, uh, as for uh, other things that we do, we need to see that the things that we talk about in the harvest of a cornfield, that's just literally something physical. So every Sunday, we can see God's part in the cornfield. But in the spiritual, we pass the cornfield to come to church to see what God's going to do for us spiritually. We don't have to wait four months. Every day we go by the cornfield is just another day. But every day that we see God's will being worked out is a day we can worship the Lord. In verses 36 to 38 in that particular passage, Jesus starts teaching on the spiritual harvest. Some now and some, uh, or some sow and some harvest, but everyone rejoices together in that harvest. That's, that's a, a good admonition for us. If you had to, if you would save every soul in the countryside, you'd be an awful busy person. If you had to go out and talk to them about Jesus, do the Sunday school class, do the preaching, get them to be converted or whatever you want to say about a spiritual growth in doing God's will in the life of a person, that's a lot of work, you know? Now, I just want you to think in your mind, how old was you when you first heard from God? And then think, how old were you when you decided to get saved? Oh, some of them was years some of them may have just been a little bit of time, weeks or maybe even months. But in the spiritual realm, normally the first time you hear from God, you just don't say, oh, I know what I got to do now. I got to get saved. You know how you learn to do those things? Why well, you learn to do it by the testimony of other people and by the teaching of God's word and by the explaining of what's going on. The Samaritans already had a background in spiritual teaching. Whose well were they at? Jacob's. Who else had been there? Oh, Abraham was there. Isaac was there. Jacob was there. So don't they know all the history of all the patriarchs that's passed through that countryside? The Samaritans knew them well. 
They just didn't do it the way the people in Jerusalem did it. And they didn't do it the way the people in Galilee did it. They did it their way. Amen. We read about that when Jesus talked to her about it. Uh, where they worshiped in verse 22. Um, Or in verse 21, Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour hour cometh when you shall say, Neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem do they worship the Father. No, it's wherever God meets you at. You don't have to go somewhere to meet God. God is everywhere. All you got to do is change your heart and let God use you in the way he wants to use you. Amen? So, uh, for decades, if not centuries, the spiritual sowing had taken place in the very place that Jesus was teaching this lesson. Amen? Generation after generation of Jew had probably passed through there. All of them spiritually charged up because they had just come from the meeting in Jerusalem. The feast was just over. They had just been to a week-long revival called the Passover. And they were all fired up, ready to do another great work for God for another year. And as they passed through Samaria or passed by it, they were probably singing and shouting. And the Samaritans heard all of that going on. Finally, Someone stopped long enough to do a spiritual harvest that the Samaritans had probably been waiting for for a long, long time. Somebody finally took time to explain to that woman that he had water. She had no idea what it was all about. And it could be a well springing up in you, speaking of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Verse 39 says that many of those of that city believed. Many of the Samaritans believed. Now, why did they believe? Because of what the woman had said. They weren't there when when Jesus was telling everything to the woman. She went to town and told them what Jesus said. Her testimony rang true with them. Now, I don't know how quick a person can change, if you would, when they get saved. I think it's pretty quick. But on the other hand, they knew what that woman was when she went to the well, and now they're hearing and seeing a different woman coming back from the well. She took a water pot up that was empty. She came back with a testimony about the man that could give her living water at the well. Amen. What would it take for that statement to be said about our city? Well, about your city. Amen? What would it take? What kind of testimony would it be for us to believe that we're going to be what God wants us to be? Now, the scripture says they believed it because the woman said it. Man, she must have had a lot of influence. Or it really hits the soft spot in their heart to testify about what they did. Verse number 40 says, when they, the Samaritans, came, they begged him to stick around for two more days. They didn't hear very much teaching, but they sure did want to hear more. Amen? 
Amen. I can tell you what that's like. Because I've preached in places where they said, please come back next week. Please come back and tell us more. Amen. In nursing homes or other places, Sunday school, they, people were hungry for what the Word of God could mean to their life. And so, Jesus did. Now, he had planned on being in Galilee. Can I tell you something? Had, it, had the Samaritan woman not come, now this is hypothetical, because she did, so we, but if she hadn't, he probably would have ate lunch with the disciples and took off from there, from Jacob's well, and went on to Galilee. And would have been there in less than two days. It wasn't that far. Probably would have been there in a few hours. Now, what do you think of that stuff? It wasn't that far. Amen. We're just talking a few miles. But because they asked him to stay, he stayed for two more days. Huh. So, in verse 41, the disciples got to see what doing the will of God was right in front of their very own eyes. A spiritual harvest was happening. And many more, the scripture says, believed. And in verse 42, it says, Now it was the Samaritan's turn to start to testify to the woman about what they found at the well. The Christ, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. Spiritually, he was leading them to the answers they had probably had on their hearts and minds for a long, long time that nobody took the time to stop and tell them about. He invited them to be a part of the kingdom of God, and they probably didn't even know what it was, but they were thrilled to be a part of it. Amen? And of course, verse 30, or 43, I read that, and it says, uh, after two days, Jesus went on home. Huh. Wonder where he stayed for those two days. You just sit at the well for two days? That's quite a while just to sit around a well, isn't it? Huh. Did he get invited to somebody's house in town? Did they even let him go to town? Huh. Where'd he sleep? You can't go to more than two days. He was already tired when he got to the well. Verse 6 tells us that. He was wearied. He sat down to rest. And two more days, surely he had to get a nap in there somewhere. He had to have a power nap or something. He can't just go with two days without sleep. Where did he sleep? Amen. What did he eat? He was hungry when he got there and he didn't eat what the disciples brought. Surely after two days, he's really going to be hungry, isn't he? Huh. After all, he uh, skipped that lunch that they offered, so he had to be hungry now. All right. We don't have to have all the answers to those questions. If they were important, God would have put them in the text. We don't care where he stayed. We don't care where he slept. We don't care what he ate. All we want to know is he did the will of God. He had a spiritual harvest in the city of Samaria. Amen? Now, a lot of the things that we'd ask the questions about, those are just physical questions. Who cares? That's not bad. What's important is getting the spiritual answers that we need to learn from the harvest that Jesus said was going to take place. It all started with a woman with many strikes against her, told about a man, 
that revealed her need of God and the results speak for themselves. Amen? So what's the lesson for us today from the word of God? Every day is a good day to do God's will. We need to look for the harvest every day. You may not have sowed. I know you didn't water. And I know you didn't fertilize or spray for weeds. But you need to be aware of the harvest that God has put around us every day. Amen? I'm going to turn the page, go to 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. And I want to read to you what the Apostle Paul learned about while he was trying to minister to the church in Corinth. And of course, this is about 30 years down the road from where Jesus spoke to this woman at the well. I want to read the first six verses in chapter 3. Now, do we begin to commend ourselves or need we, or as some others, epistles of accommodation to you or letters of accommodation from you? Verse 2 is what I want you to really get. Everybody got it? Verse 2. Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Do you know what that means? You're a book for somebody to read. Do you know that? People are reading your life. No matter where you go, no matter what you say, no matter how you live, people are reading your life. Amen. So what kind of epistle or what kind of book or what kind of letter do you want them to come to the conclusion of about your life when they read your life? That's what Paul's talking about. I'm going to read to you in, in verse 3 here. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not in tablets of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to, God, to, through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but the, of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. That's the difference between physical and spiritual. Amen? That's what he was telling them. Here Paul tells the Corinthians, you're God's letters. You're God's epistles. He wants the people around you to know who you are. You're known and read of all men, the scriptures teach us. Amen? There's not a letter um, written without a pen or paper that we know of. This is a letter written by the Spirit of God in your hearts. I don't want to know what you got to say about God. I don't even know what, I, what you think. I want to watch your life because that will tell me what you know and what you think. Amen? The reading of your life is done every day by people around you. It could be as simple as a smile. 
It could be a kind act. You held the door open for someone that was following you into the store that you was going to. It could be a helping hand. They had more groceries than they could carry, so you helped them carry them to the car. Or it could be a prayer. Amen. I'm astonished. Every time I go to a restaurant and before we eat, it's just absolutely 100% of the time we stop and pray. And I'm amazed at how many people around don't get it. I can say it that way. They don't understand. Well, they know what I'm doing. Or they don't want to interrupt. They know that's me. And I'm sure in the back of their mind, they're reading my epistle. And those at our table. Amen. It's just what we do. Any kind of prayer. You may know somebody that's hurting. And all you got to say is, I'm going to pray for you. I want to see you do better. I'm not happy that you're sick. I'm going to pray that God will touch you. Amen. You see, we found out Thursday night, worship is not an act. Worship is a lifestyle. It will follow you everywhere you go. And if you worship God right, people are going to read that into your letter, into your life, into your epistle. God reminds us once again, or Paul reminds us here once again, it's not about us. We're the vessel of the Holy Spirit and of the Word of God that we need to let the world see that He has made a difference in our lives. Just like the Samaritan woman, let everybody in Samaria know, I've been changed. He helped me get the change in my life I need to have. We need to have that same spiritual harvest in our town or wherever God chooses to use us. Paul wanted to have that spiritual guidance when he was preaching to Corinth in this scripture that I just read. I want to leave you with a thought God gave me that just absolutely jumped off the page to me this week. And I was reading, I don't know if I marked it or not. Yeah, I do. I marked it. It's in Psalm, or, uh, Proverbs 2720. I was just happened to be reading this and read it. It just absolutely hit me right in the head. Amen? It says, Hell and destruction are never full. You know what that means? You can't do enough bad stuff. There, and they, to cover all the bad stuff there is in this world, you just can't do it in a lifetime. Because there's more to bad stuff, if you want to say it that way, that'll just take you to hell than you can even imagine. And he says, for that reason, the eyes of man are never satisfied. Amen. Eyes of man, no matter how much temptation you got, tomorrow the devil's going to tempt you with something worse, or in his eyes, something more enticing. The eyes of man are never satisfied. So, hell and destruction are never full. I, I read that. The devil has never quit trying to have a great harvest for his kingdom. Amen? The world is uh, full of temptation on every hand. As a child of God, we need to live in such a way, led by the two witnesses, who are they? 
His Word and His Spirit. That's the only two guides He left behind for us to use to learn more about God. That Jesus Christ can show the world a better life and a better outcome in eternity. Amen. It, it, it absolutely saddens my heart. I don't even like to do it anymore. I've, a couple times this week I tried to watch local news. It's so bad. It's I just I can't hardly fathom it. I can't take it in. Amen. I turned it on last night. Well, between halftime at the high State game, I couldn't miss that. And I turned it over. Of course, it, it, I didn't have to change the channel because it was on Channel 9 on my TV. And then at halftime, the Channel 9 news came on. I had to change the channel just to keep from watching the Channel 9. You know what they were covering? Somebody in Kentucky running on the streets down there somewhere. A lady's walking down the street and this guy runs around and inappropriately grabs her. They're looking for him high and low. They've got pictures of him on cameras and uh, I'm sure they're going to find him. Come on, guys. We can do better than that. Can we do better than that? I think we can. But you know what? Hell and destruction are never full. Amen? Well, what we need is a better harvest. Jesus said in Luke 10, 2, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. The disciples and the Samaritans both found that out at Jacob's well when Jesus passed by. He says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. As a Christian, here am I, Lord. Send me. Do you want to do God's will? Do you want to be more what God can use out of you to get the harvest he wants? Pray that your epistle your life is written in such a way that others see your God and how God's working in your life and desire that same outcome in their lives also. Amen? The harvest is ready. Pray God uses us individually and collectively to see a great harvest in those that read our epistle. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.